as I grew up and went to high school and then I went to university and I realized that the rat race is a real thing. You realize very quickly when you start thinking about trading your time for money, what that looks like and how, how your life is going to shape. So, you know, that the first, I think, concept or idea of, of financial freedom has kind of hit me when I was in university, figuring out what I wanted to do or like how my life was going to look, trying to kind of architect my way through it. And I think I realized very quickly that it's not super sustainable, even making, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year, working you know, 12, 15 hour shifts on and off. That wasn't something I really kind of like jumped out at me. So that was the first kind of thought of when I tried to figure out how I was going to figure out financial freedom. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 34, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and retiring early. But before we jump into today's episode, I want to talk to you guys about ratings and reviews. If you didn't realize it, it's literally the lifeblood of this podcast. So if you guys could jump over on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on right now and give us a written review and a five-star rating, that would absolutely mean the world to us. And thank you guys so much for everyone who's already done that so far. We really appreciate it. We, we do read them and yeah, it's very helpful. So thank you. But yeah, so today's episode with the Finley team. So they are mortgage brokers. And uh, I think it's, you know, these, these are key members of your team, right? So when you're trying to scale a portfolio, having people who are able to help you out on the financing end is one of the most important things. They're also one of the sponsors of our show. So really happy to have them on and actually talk about their backstory as well as what they do. Yeah, I'm really excited for today's episode. I've known Josh and Aaron for probably maybe two years now, but really got to know them over the last year as they've been, you know, reoccurring characters on my YouTube channel every Friday. And it, this is a really fun episode where we get to blend between both, you know, their fire goals and what they're trying to do with their business as well, because of the fact that they're so involved on my YouTube channel, a huge part of their customer base is people focus on financial independence through real estate investing. So I think this is a really cool hybrid episode. Yeah. So enough chatting. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, one of which is the Finley team, and then we'll dive into the interview. This episode is sponsored by the Findlay Mortgage Team. The Findlay Team was born out of the idea that through exceptional service and expert advice, they can create a world of more accessible capital for their clients. As real estate capital advisors, their mission is to assist investors in strategically scaling their portfolios. They understand the struggle that investors face and how difficult it can be to scale once the banks say no. Their experts find alternative solutions by leveraging institutional and private capital stacks, strong networks, and competitive products, allowing them to offer an industry-leading service that is un paralleled in the Canadian real estate market. All right. Welcome to the show, Findlay team. So we kind of already gave an introduction there, but Findlay team, mortgage broker team based out of London, Ontario, and uh, they're doing a ton of business right now. They're getting uh, a lot of people. I mean, you're going to hear their name quite a bit more often recently, and they're actually one of the sponsors of our show as well. So welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks so much for having us on, guys. We were uh, we've really been looking forward to coming on and shooting this with you. And so we normally have just one guest on the show. So just to be very clear, Josh. Hello, hello. And Aaron. Hello, everybody. Awesome. So that's the Finlay Mortgage Team, guys. And I'm sure we'll dive a little bit more into this later. But do you guys mind just breaking down for us? How were you originally introduced to the idea of financial independence, retiring early, gain control of your personal financial lives, all that good stuff? Sure. Yeah. So I guess it all starts really from financial freedom. I mean, I wasn't born into a wealthy family to say the least. You know, my parents were, my dad was a small business owner growing up. He owned a 
a gas fitting company. So, I mean, he did pretty well for himself, but it wasn't anything that was crazy. You know, he worked hourly, worked a lot every day, all day. We didn't see him a whole lot, but, you know, he provided for our family. So, I mean, the idea of working per hour for time to get paid well was it was an idea, but the whole idea of creating financial freedom through other avenues wasn't really something that I was taught as a kid or, or growing up. It just Money wasn't really something that we talked about, but like it was obviously there. It wasn't something we worried about. But as I grew up and, you know, I went to high school and then I went to university and I realized that the rat race is a real thing. And you you realize very quickly when you start thinking about trading your time for money, what that looks like and how how your life is going to shape. So, you know, that the first, I think, concept or idea of of financial freedom has kind of hit me when I was in university, figuring out what I wanted to do or like how my life was going to look, trying to kind of architect my way through it. And I think I realized very quickly that it's not super sustainable, even making you know, $100,000 a year, working you know, 12, 15 hour shifts on and off. That wasn't something I really kind of like jumped out at me. So you know, that was the first kind of thought of when I tried to figure out how I was going to figure out financial freedom. Well, you're yeah, I think somewhat of a similar story, you know, like same thing. Like both my parents work, but you know, household income probably like a hundred thousand, hundred and ten thousand. So it was a lot of my parents putting the kids first and, and not so much for themselves. I grew up and played a lot of sports, so I know that, you know, there's a lot of financial cost uh, for that route, just traveling a lot down the States and and you know, equipment every year and stuff like that. So um, you know, I, I I just, I saw the cost that was involved and, and same thing, you know, you going through university you know, I took kinesiology. So there was no real true outcome uh, for just a four year degree. You know, like you had to look at you know medicine or Cairo or, or something else that really gave you an outlet and a degree to go back and get a job. And, um, you know, basically I just, I was taking a look at the cost of, of university for another five years and how much it was going to cost me to go to school for five years versus you know, how much could you potentially make in five years and, and what would that outcome look like and how much, you know, would that change your life where you bust your ass for five years and then, you know, you, you come out and, and you kind of have unlimited earning potential. Whereas, you know, if you go to school to be a doctor, you come out with a high income, but you already racked up so much student debt Now you have your overhead that, you know, you're not really, you know, that the margin is a little bit smaller. So I've always been a bit of a consumer. I, I, just enjoy buying things. You have to be able to afford it if you, if you want to be able to do that. And, you know, not having to have that financial stress, you know, that I, like my parents having to choose between, you know, providing for their kids or providing for themselves. You know, I, it would be great to be able to just provide for an entire family, not necessarily have to worry about it. So just life experiences, I think, and, and choosing the lifestyle that you want and realizing that there are options out there to, to live that lifestyle comfortably and that, you know, essentially everybody has an opportunity to make that decision. And then, you know, what they do from it from there is, a, is a- yeah, it's interesting. Like the idea that university and college are kind of just a given option for most people. It's just sort of the next step in their path, but I mean, it's not necessarily the right thing for everyone. And, and when you kind of, like you said, compare it with what you could instead be doing with your life for those four years or so. Hey, I mean, that's a lot of time that you could spend on, you know, building a business or whatever it may be. And uh, I know that I know that for myself, you know, I did computer science and it was a four-year degree. And I remember thinking if I could change anything, I probably would have done the three-year because most companies don't actually care about this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't care that I'd spent an extra year of my life getting the four-year degree versus the three-year. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a master's degree and then eventually 
decided to stop working on that, even though I was only one, one course short of finishing because I'd already left my day job and stuff. And, you know, the sunken cost at some point, you know, it's a strong fallacy in it and it drives you in a lot of ways. But sometimes even if you've been working on something for a while, or even if you're already in school and it doesn't feel like the right fit, sometimes it makes sense to, to, you know, redeploy your, your efforts to, to something better. Right. You know, it's funny that university and post-secondary education is the most important thing in your life until you finish it and realize it's not the most important thing in life. It's so true. <laughs> yeah, you just get programmed at such an early age that, you know, we're told at, what, 16? We're so malleable that you, know, you have to do this to be successful. So go to school, you know, figure it yeah, out. Yeah. Go to university, spend the 40000 spend the 60000 that when you're all it's all said and done, you meet people who have financial freedom, and they look at you like, "Why would like you don't need to do these things to be able to attain financial freedom?" I think you just have to have a vision. And I guess the, where we're going with this is the very first time uh, I realized or, or met somebody who had that financial freedom. They didn't uh, they didn't fit within the construct of what we believe society should do, whether that's go get a job and have a high paying job, or you know, this person kind of paved their own way and kind of blaze their own destiny and from that moment, I realized that you don't have to, or, or the people that you're, that are telling you to do these things and that are telling you to say, go to school or to do follow, you know, that construct, you know, those are the people who, who have the yachts. Those aren't the people who are, are living the life you probably want to live. So mm-hmm. you know, try to mimic the people who are really, you know, living that lifestyle or try to maybe get some advice from somebody who's built a company or has financial freedom and then start, start looking at what they do and how they build their life. And then, that's kind of where we've been pulling pointers from for the last, I'd say, three or four years. It's just people who, who already, quote unquote, have it, or the people who have done it, mimic the people you want to be like. Yeah. And so for you guys, now that, you know, fast forward a bit, can you give us a brief summary of what the last year or so has looked like for you guys? Mm, yeah. I mean, actually, I think almost a year ago today, we did our first video, our first marketing video on social media for Matt and the Casual Tribe. And it was, it's actually funny because I think it, it year to date, obviously it, it's been around the longest. So it's had the most amount of possible view time, but it's, I think it's one of our highest views and liked videos, but all in all, it was a relatively terrible video. <laughs> it was filmed <laughs> on a cell phone in a dark room with terrible audio and a bad glare on the whiteboard and the screen that we were using. But you know, I remember we were, that video. <laughs> yeah, we, we were, it was terrible. We were sitting around. We had talked to Matt and about coming down there, and we weren't sure with you know the initial Corona protocol, what you know what we were supposed to do and what was best. But we we wanted to do it. You know, we had we had had that initial conversation with Matt about you know just what it was, what the costs were going to look like, and you know, at the time of COVID, it was a decision where we were like, you know, are we in a position to afford to start putting this, you know, this cost into the budget, especially with COVID and not knowing where real estate's going to be. You know, there was talks of the land registry and everything closing down. And, you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty, but, you know, we realized that we wanted to be, you know, a, a year from today, did we want to be sitting here still saying like, oh yeah, you know, we'll, we'll start soon. Or did we want to look back a year later and say, Hey, we took an opportunity and we started and, and we did. And, you know, that social media adventure was really the best choice I think that we've ever made. And I mean, I know Matt can obviously attest to that as well too, just the power that social media has in marketing and how much it does for your business. And, and, you know, I've always heard that social media is the way to go, you know, a lot of Gary Vee and what he preaches, but until you really get into it and you spend the money and you spend the time kind of honing it in, you don't realize how powerful it is. 
and now, you know, a year later, we derive, I'd say like 98% of our, our lead generation from our social media. Wow. So, you know, we went from calling realtors and, and trying to figure out partnerships that way and, and looking for business from partner sources to producing our own, our own lead generation. And it's, it's honestly pretty much solely through social media marketing. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's interesting. So, you know, I've done it all just in regards to like trying to figure out leads. So I was in the, I've been doing this for about three years now. And before we decided to create content and change the way that we were going to market to people, you know, I paid for leads. I paid for lead generation. I created relationships with realtors. Like I, I, I had different ways to get business and, and it all felt as though like, you know, you were, you were always, you're always pulling. You were always like, you know, trying to get business. And it almost, almost like it's fake, almost like you, you really aren't creating a genuine connection with a person or, you know, you're trying to get their business. They're not coming to you for some sort of solution. And, you know, we pondered for a long time as to, you know, this is such an old industry. And you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the guys in this industry are, are decently old and, you know, there's a new era of a broker coming into the industry. And, we found out that like just through watching either Matt or watching, you know, other people on social media that, you know, people, especially our age, maybe you might say 30 down, we consume information differently than what the other generations consume information. So you know, if we have a question, we'll go on YouTube or like, if we don't know how to do something, we'll, we'll just go figure it out. Like we don't have to, we don't have to call someone or to, to go do that. So we realized very quickly that there isn't any any great place for investors to be able to get information, but we had access to a ton of it. So, you know, hence we started creating our videos and, you know, we are firm believers in being able to share information with people who need it the most. And if we can be industry experts in our field and share the knowledge to help people, you know, grow their wealth and their portfolio, then, you know, we're adding to, to their benefit. And then, you know, they're going to come work with us kind of thing. So instead of that whole, you know, pull to try to get leads in, we're pushing, we're pushing our information, all the knowledge that we have out to empower other people. And then you know, obviously, you know, by doing that, you know, they come to us with, uh, with their needs and wants and you know, we, we enjoy it. You know, we can't tell you how many people reach out saying, you know, because of your videos, I was able to do this, or, you know, I'm learning so much because of this. And, you know, that's really the true reason is why we do this is because, you know, a lot of people get a lot of value out of the information that we're trying to push out. And we realize through talks, initial talks with Matt, when we first started this and other investors that there isn't that it, the investment space is so underrepresented with the banks and with the solutions that they offer that you know, we're trying to work with these banks and financial institutions to let them know what some of the, the pain points are and how we can go about fixing that. And as, as we see, I can, I can ramble on forever guys to so stop me when, whenever you need, you know, we realize the the wealth transfer that's about to happen as well with, you know, the baby boomers and then the generation after that and how that money is being, is going to be invested in, I think a lot of people are going to see real estate as some sort of legacy item in the future. And that legacy item is going to be something that, you know, that our generation is going to purchase with the funds that are going to be passed down through the next generation, the last generation. So I think there's going to be a huge influx in investors who are going to be dumping into the market before either it's too late or, you know, they can't get in anymore. So, yeah. There's definitely a, a lot of opportunities. I appreciate you breaking that down for us, Josh. 
So mm-hmm. do you guys mind, you know, just kind of lay out the roadmap for us. What does your financial independence retiring early journey look like? And how does your business tie into that? Yeah, that, 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 that's a great question. Uh, Aaron, you want to start? Yeah, I think for us, you know, I think just and just kind of tying this back into your last question with the last year looked like um, and, and what that does for us moving forward. It It's definitely an eye opener as to what it takes to own and operate a business. I think, you know, until you really jump in and you start managing it hands on by yourself, you know, it's it's very easy to sit back and say, oh, I could, you know, I could make this guy's making a million dollars running a business. You know, I could do that too. I just, I don't have that business. And, you know, there, there's just so much that goes into that business. And, and part of our last year and moving forward has just been keeping up with the growing pains. You know, it's one of those things where it's like cart before the horse, you know, do you need the, the leads coming in, the business coming in, and then you hire the admin staff or do you hire the support staff first and anticipation and then hope the business comes. And, and that's something that we've been trying to keep on top of because we want to grow exponentially, but we have to make sure that the co- that the customer service level, you know, stays in that same exponential growth. So, you know, moving forwards, it's in the next five years, you know, it's, I'd say we'd like to be able to get to the point where we have a large enough team that, you know, obviously the systems are in place and things have Things are smooth to the point where if one of the business partners is away, you know, transition is easy and and we're able to keep on top of the service and, and maintain all the clients. But you know, in terms of our, our future, I think at some point we'd like to be able to stick to a, a more niche market w- with ourselves and, and have a, a team behind us who's able to pick up on a lot more of the residential stuff and look to private lending a little bit as well too. You know, something a little bit more passive income and a little bit more hands off. I mean, working for the business is is great, but the the end goal is part of that financial freedom. And you know, is it really financial freedom if you're just tied to, you know, your your freedom is tied to the amount of hours that you put into your business? Because at that point, you're almost just back into, you know, that same yeah, that same process of the nine to five, right? So finding another avenue stream to really make the money work for you. Um, and with us and our and our you know, our business connections, private lending is is a great option for us and, and getting more involved in the actual real estate purchasing. It's something that's on our to-do list and we've started to look into it a lot more. And uh, that's that's our goal for this year, putting the money away and, and start having that passive income. And I think just transitioning, you know, transitioning the business and, and moving a little bit more towards a private lending perspective from the personal side. And, and just once that gets off the ground and, and is able to support a little more, then, you know, we figure out where the business goes from there. But I think focusing on the business, growing it for at least the foreseeable future, the next five to seven years, we'd like to see how big we can get it. You know, yeah. we'd like to capitalize the majority of the Ontario marketplace and maybe potentially bringing on a second side of the business that can deal with the first time home buyer side and and you know more on that triple a type market i mean that's going to depend on where the real estate market ends up as well too and how affordability stays and if you know there is such thing as a first time home buyers market in, <laughs> in five to seven years i'm not really sure but you know we would like to encapsulate all of ontario and be yeah. one of the top 
cut brokerages. For sure. I think I think just touching on what Aaron said, we have decently aggressive goals. In regards to financial independence in the next five years, like there is no household name when it comes to mortgages there, especially for investors. So, you know, being that household name for Ontario or Canada in regards to investment mortgages is something that we're striving for. And we're gonna we are going to grow towards. You know, that obviously when you start thinking about how large that market is, you know, the financial freedom that comes with creating a company like that is something that we're obviously, you know, striving towards. As Aaron touched on a little bit, you know, the financial freedom that we get from having the opportunities in front of us. We do a little bit of private lending. So, you know, creating different streams of revenue, whether that's through having an active business, having our agents, you know, helping them close deals, you know, growing our business doing private loans, purchasing real estate, and all those different avenues eventually create passive investments over time. And and eventually, hopefully, I think 35 is the age that I I would like to be able to step away and and do whatever I would like with with whatever life has to offer after that. Mm -hmm. There's some of the flexibility. I mean, I like the financing side and and the relationships are really what we're into. And that's why we like that investing side really so much more than the first time buyer side is just building those long-term relationships. And, you know, there's going to be clients that we're going to want to work with continuously and, and that we're going to keep working with down the road, but it's, it's being in that position where you can start to, you know, pick which business you want to put your time into and which business you're able to, you know, facilitate into the rest of the brokerage to keep a little more time on your plate. But yeah, it really just comes down to, like I said, you know, it, it's great if you're operating a, a high functioning business, but if you know your income and that freedom is tied to the amount of hours you put into that business, you know you're you're really just back into that same nine to five type system. So just finding a way yeah. to expand it beyond that. Well, you guys, you talked about private lending quite a bit. So there's a, I know there's a million different options in terms of how you can loan your money out. I mean, especially right now, there's a lot of people who've made quite a bit of money, maybe from their, a lot of times from their real estate portfolio at this point. And a lot of people are switching into more private lending mode. So, you know, can you guys talk a bit about that and like different structures that are available for people, you know, both through, you know, brokers as well as just like family and friends, like what kind of stuff do you recommend there? I mean, we have, I see people doing, you know, and I've done a variety of it myself, but just like unsecured promissory note type stuff, second position loans, VTBs, you know, yeah. first position stuff, stuff through mortgage brokers. Like what are, what are some different options there that jump, jump out at you? For sure. So just touching on that, the very first time I realized how much money you could have in private lending. I met this gentleman. It was a contact of a good associate of mine. And that person was wealthier than I've ever seen any human being on the planet. I was like, holy crap, this guy is for real. This is insane. So I dug a little bit deeper into it because I was like, this is, this is, a, this is how somebody makes a serious amount of money. How do you do this? And you know, private lending is a phenomenal way to grow your wealth. Obviously, there are risks associated with private lending, but if you understand the business and how it works and and what true value of property is, it's quite safe. And you know, if, if you want to exponentially grow your money, it, it's a great way to do it in a safe way that you can understand and have full control over. So essentially what private money is for the listeners who, who don't know what private lending is, is you have access to be able to put your money in the private real estate market, meaning... If there's an investor, for example, who is looking to do a a flip or a burr, and they can't get financing, or you know, yeah, they can't get financing from a, a regular institution, they're going to come and look for some sort of private solution to be able to help them for a short period of time to be able to get into a, a deal. 
So what they're going to do is they're going to come to us and they're going to say, hey, look, I need a, say, a, a one-year term to be able to do this flip. Can you help me out? The majority of private money, now obviously it changes depending on the market, but the majority of private money in first position is roughly around, I'd say, 8%, 8% to 10% for like mom and pop money. That's about to 80% loan to value, depending on obviously the area. So if you think about that, if you put your money out at 8 eight to 10%, like total return on your investment per year, it's going to take you 10 years to double your money. Now, I talk to people and people come to me or investors come to me and they say, look, Josh, I have like eight properties. My goal is to have $7,000 a month in cash flow. If I get $7,000 a month in cash flow, you know, I can quit my job. I can get out of the rat race. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, you guys, let me, let me take a look at your portfolio for a second. You got got maybe what, like $4 million in equity in these properties. And you're spending all of your free time managing these properties, dealing with them. Like, how about we take a look and see what it looks like if you were to say maybe reassess. So what we have is we have a lot of people who were in the real estate game who wanted to maybe tone it down a bit, but still wanted to make you know, the passive income. So they'll sell a property or they'll sell two properties. And if you do the math, a million dollars in the market at 10% is $100,000 a year. So if you had, say, $2 million in real estate, you know, you'd sell it, you know, divest a little bit of it, put it in the market at $2 million in the market at 10%, it's $200,000 of passive income. And, you know, for all the listeners out there, that $200,000 is an interest only payment. So in the year term, you're going to get $2 million back on top of the monthly payment that you receive. So, you know, if you're looking for cash flow benefits, you know, a lot of people kind of dismiss private lending because it doesn't have the appreciation effect on it, but you know, the the income that you can get from private lending compared to trying to squeeze out cash flow on some properties, especially in the Ontario market right now is that the, it's a great alternative. And we have a lot of people reaching out about private lending and you know, it does take a little bit of money to be able to get into it. Second mortgages are a little bit more risky depending on obviously your risk tolerance and what it looks like in the market that you're in. You, know, you, you, may, it may, you may, it may work for you. We always do like a risk tolerance questionnaire. We have a conversation with the people. We put their money out. You know, there are certain forms that you do need to sign so you understand the risks associated with putting your money in the market. But a phenomenal way to grow your wealth, especially if you trust real estate and you trust the assets that you're putting into. And it's a great way to be able to create relationships with people who are doing things in real estate too. And people don't think about that aspect of it is, you know, the networks that you build by doing this are relationships that will help you grow in real estate as well. Like Kelly and Matt, I'm sure you guys, you know, can attest to this, that, you know, when you help somebody or when, who needs, you know, guidance or, or needs help with a, a deal, you know, that, that relationship lasts longer than what the loan lasts for. Yeah. But yeah, you know, uh, private lending is a phenomenal way to be able to grow your wealth. It, it's great cash flow. Obviously, you know, it's not quite as lucrative as investing in real estate because you don't have the compounding and cash flowing effect. But, you know, it is, uh, it is a great way to maybe diversify your real estate portfolio a little bit. Yeah. And comparing it to real estate growth itself, I mean, real estate, the, the appreciation depends, you know, on the market where in an up and a down market, you know, as a private lender, you're, you still have a pretty similar and steady stream of business. You're able to pick and choose which deals you want to work with. So, you know, your, your risk tolerance is up to you. You can play it more safe. You can 
you know, take those riskier position loans if you want to and, and try to make a little bit more return back on your money, but it's, it's completely up to you. And there's options out there for people who don't want to be the lender as well too. You know, there's, there's ways to invest your RSPs and your TFSAs and be able to privately lend those out on a you know pretty healthy return. You know, you're probably still looking at six to 8% return annually on your money. And that might, you know, vary if you would reinvest your earnings as well too. And, and putting those in through, you know, lenders like Olympia Trust, and you can invest into mortgage investment companies, the mix, and, and you can, you can choose to invest into REITs as well too. If, if you want someone who, you know, you have no idea how to pick which properties you want to invest in, and you're not quite sure, you know, put your money into a REIT. The REIT's going to do the investigating for you. They're going to provide the numbers. You know, it's, it's all laid out. They're publicly traded companies. You can see what their portfolio consists of and what percentage of their money is invested into residential versus commercial versus, you know, potentially industrial. And, and you can pick your, you know, your risk adversity that way, but it's still an option for you to put your money out and, and not be the one who is, has to be hands-on, right? So, even if you don't want to be the lender, like I said, there are other options out there that allows you to invest in real estate through, a, you know, whether it's private lending or, or purchasing the stock, there, there are other ways to do it other than actually buying the real estate and being the private lender. Awesome. Yeah, really appreciate that, Aaron, as well as uh, Josh there at the start. So before I can see us, we're probably going to go down rabbit holes soon because we definitely want to explore, you know, your average customer and their goals with fire as well. But one more question about you guys first, I'd love just to hear you guys break down for us. So I'll summarize my understanding and you can correct me on anything that uh, I misspeak here, but I imagine you guys are kind of best friends. You guys are also roommates and you're also business partners. Do you mind talking about that work-life blend <laughs> and just that entire drive and you know what's the advantages and disadvantages of it oh man we have little voodoo dolls of each other that <laughs> when we're totally just frustrated you know oh no. man so i so for people who don't know i have a twin brother his name is justin and aaron is as close to uh, a twin as i think i have other than i obviously have my brother so, Aaron and I have been really close buddies for since university. I want to say like seven, seven years, six years, seven years. Yeah, we actually, I found an ad on Kijiji for a student house that was looking for uh, another roommate. And that's actually how Josh and I met. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we, we stayed good buddies and, and then you know, we lived together almost every year since obviously COVID has, has come with some challenges, you know, Aaron and I are pretty good. We haven't really like ever gotten to fight, like, you know, with your best friend, you know, you'll just like, you'll get on each other's nerves, especially if you have a little bit of cabin fever from being stuck in uh, in your house for the last year. But at the end of the day, you have to have implicit trust and you have to really care about, about the person that you do business with as well as your best friend. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's easier for us to be able to run a business together while being best friends, just because you know, I think we're all so aligned on the same page, just in regards to our goals and what we want and how, how we're going to move forward. And it adds a, a level of maybe, you know, depth that most business partners don't have. Like, you know, there's no, it's a pretty unfiltered when it comes to your thoughts, feelings, and emotions on either making a business decision or, you know, when you're making decisions, it's more, it's more of a, like a long-term relationship decision than it is, uh, than it is just a business decision. You know, you thoroughly care about the people that, that you work with, especially if they're, you know, your best friends. So it is an interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. I feel like 
you know how they have that like photo like Steve Jobs and like they were working in their uh, garage and they were all good buddies. Yeah, I always kinda... think of Elon Musk and his brother like <laughs> sleeping on the futon and going to the YMCA for showers, <laughs> yeah. like that level of dedication to the yeah, business. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and it it, all, it always helps when you hey, you have to pull out those long consecutive days and you know, your partner is out there you know, crushing it and you're just like, oh, okay, well. Well, I got to do it because he's doing it and then it perpetuates itself too. So if you're ever having a that's, down, yeah, if you're having a that down day. Of, that accountability between the two of you is, uh, is probably pretty important. I know with, with Elon Musk, I think what it was, was he rented an office rather than an apartment and uh, they would work out of that office and they would have their website running up during the day and then at night, because they only had the one computer and then at night they would, he would program <laughs> and then he'd go to the YMCA to shower. <laughs> It definitely has parallels, you know, where, so we've definitely outgrown where we are right now. So we're, we we have an office uh, in Guelph. We had one in Kitchener last year. We kind of shut it down until COVID and our agents get back to normal, but we work in the same place that we live. So we've definitely outgrown it. So sometimes we'll, we'll have to like be in certain parts of the house because, you know, we'll hear each other talking over each other and, you know, it's always, there's always some sort of work dynamic going on. So it's, well, it's similar to even just people who invest together, right? Like a lot of like power couples and things like that. There's a ton of value in being able to just like constantly workshop ideas. I mean, Matt, like, you know, pre COVID, especially, you know, like everyone was living in the same house and like working together, you know, the videographers there, everyone's, everyone's kind of involved. And uh, I think there's a ton of value in you know, as you know, with any networking, most of the time, the best networking is done, like when you'd go out for drinks after or when you like, whatever. So when you're actually living together, you can really get to know people. It's you get to connect on a level that you wouldn't you wouldn't if you were just in the office together. Right. I think it's fully immersive to yeah. think about it. Like it's it's you live and breathe your your business. And if you're both passionate about what you're doing, you're always going to be doing what's best for your business. And you know, if we're all on the same page about that, you know, the the growth that we can expect when you have multiple people on the same frequency pushing as hard as we are, you know, I think it really allows you to crush out goals a lot quicker than what most people would be able to accomplish by themselves. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, I think it helps that, you know, Josh and I are both relatively competitive. So, you know, if, if one person's working a little bit later than the other person, it's like, oh man, like I can't be the one who's like sitting on the couch playing video games. It's like right at 11 o'clock, like I gotta be working. So, you know, like there's a little bit of that and it just, it just pushes you, you know, it, and it, it really, I think it comes down to that, you know, that little bit of competitiveness and, and pushing each other, you know, it, it adds 1% extra work every day. And, you know, throughout a year and two years and three years and five years, you know, that little bit of extra competitive push is really what's going to set you apart from the competition down the road, right? Where if, if at, you know, seven o'clock at night, you know, business partners go to their separate homes and then they, they just kind of, you know, zone out from the work from there and, and somebody else is decides to get some work done. There is no, you know, you don't have that same push to kind of keep working and, and put a little bit of extra work in. So I, you know, I think it helps, you know, it's, it's that 1% better every day type scenario, right? Where, you know, it, it definitely adds up over time. And, you know, if you underwrite one extra deal every night, because, you know, your partner's working and you don't want to be the one not working, that adds up. That's, you know, that's seven extra deals a week. You know, you start doing the math, it, it, it just, it, it, you know, it creates a more efficient system and it, uh, it, it's healthy competition and it's, it's good growth for the company. 
Yeah, I think anyone I've seen that like grows a business quickly or scales their portfolio quickly or whatever it may be, they tend to be running like I always looked at it as just kind of being in fifth gear or sixth gear, you know, like pretty constantly, usually for a couple of years or something like that. I've seen it over and over again. And those people, they're generally not going to have much work life balance for that time, which is probably fine for for a period of time, at least. But it's it's super helpful because you just you have such momentum that you know, I know I was doing that. And then I left eventually after two and a half years of doing that, I left on a three month van trip and lived in a van and traveled around the US. And when I got back, it was definitely momentum had been lost for sure. I mean, probably for, for, you know, probably in a good way, because it was good for my mental health. But there's a lot to be said for just being in fifth gear and just keep using that momentum to keep keep going forward and having, having someone in your life, whether it's friends or family or probably, you know, investors and things like that with you. It's super helpful. But I wanted to switch gears a bit just because, you know, a lot of people listening are probably, you know, either in one of two situations, they're, you know, trying to structure their first deal, or they're at a place where they've got some properties and they want to continue scaling from there. So, you know, what is the difference between approaching those two different types of investments in terms of financing? So starting with the first deal and then and then changing things up once you've got a couple of properties. I think the biggest thing is just having, you know, one person has a portfolio and, you know, the other person is is looking to create their portfolio. And there's there's two different strategies that uh, to go into both of those scenarios. In the first position, you know, if you're looking to get into your first property, you're going to be one of a few things. The majority of the people that we are seeing right now who are looking to get into their first are probably using other people's money, I would say. The majority of them are, are looking to use some sort of vendor take back or investor loan. Now, I mean, it depends on a few different things. Like, what's your financial situation? I think what I would do if you're a first time buyer and you're looking to get in is I'd put together a bit of a package about yourself and a summary and, and, and have that ready to present to us. You know, what's your current financial situation? Are you employed? Are you business for self? You know, are you on salary? Are you on guaranteed hours? If you're business for self, you know, did you just start? Have you been in the, in the game for a couple of years? How many years do you have on your belt? And put together a bit of a, of a bio and a summary for us to take a look at. Those How clients, much? Yeah, those clients are pr- pretty much just not scraping money together. But as as everybody knows, you know, the majority of people have you know trying to keep it together, save money, own their own home, operate a family, work nine to five. Like you know, those people are trying to find creative solutions to get in, and there are them out there. But you know, they're definitely different than what we would see with somebody who already has a portfolio. Because once you have equity, which is the tool of choice to be able to scale, you know, it's a totally different ballgame because you can't save money that fast. You know, you you can't you can't leverage anything, you know, like there's nothing like it. So if you have equity already, it's it's quite easy to be able to either tap into that equity or cross collateralize and use that equity to scale your portfolio and I guess the old adage, you know, the rich get richer. Like it's 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 kind of like like that. Whereas if you have the tools you need to succeed, it's very easy for you to succeed. So you know, there are two different clients, two different types of clients we have, and two very different strategies that we usually implement. One has the tools, and one one's trying to find creative ways to be able to create the tools. I think the biggest challenge people are finding right now is with the way the houses are appreciating, and and you know how high offers are going over asking price it's coming up with that initial down payment and that capital to be able to get into it and it's it's across the board it's not just first time buyers it's you know investors who are looking at properties on MLS and even some of the private 
you know, the private sales are going a little bit higher than what uh, they probably would. And, and it really just comes down to the capital. You know, it, there's ways to get into properties if you don't have solid income. You know, there's private, there's private mortgages, there's income-based products like credit unions are really good for that. If, if you, know, you don't have solid income, we can debt service the building based off of the rent and the expenses and, and still be able to find a solution for that. And it's really just how much capital you have. And like Josh said, you know, investors who have a portfolio and are able to tap into that equity, that makes things so much easier, you know, like just re- recapping, but collateral loans, being able to use that equity to increase loan to values, you know, that putting less capital down, if you can get into a property at 85 or 90%, you know, that's putting more capital back in your pocket on the start. If if you have a large portfolio with a credit union and you're looking to get into a multi-unit residential building and you know if that building isn't debt servicing high enough on acquisition but you have a huge surplus of cash flow in your portfolio you know now you can leverage that cash flow and, and get in based off of a of a leverage or a, a portfolio dscr versus having to go with a private lender you know now you're paying you know approximately four percent in fees double the legal fees you know, so being able to utilize that portfolio, it's not just about equity, but it's about the cash flow and the debt servicing as well, too, because, you know, you can leverage that as well, not and not just the equity. So, you know, having that portfolio does wonders, but that's not too, uh, you know, yeah, it, it takes a little bit of work and it's going to take a little bit of extra work now with, with the, how hot the market is. But there are ways to get in, you know, we, we put the products out there. There's ways for people who are making minimum income to get into, you know, a primary, a primary owner occupied uh, residence with a rental units in there and, and leveraging the rental income. And then, you know, you, you sit in that property for a year, you utilize the other rental income to help pay down the mortgage, build some equity and, and, you know, turn into a rental property and, and repeat the process. There's, there's ways to get in. There's ways to do it. I and mean, obviously it takes a little bit more work, but you know, that's, that's what we're kind of here for is Solutions. helping people to build, you know, a scenario and a pathway to get into the first property and not just the first property, but how that initial acquisition will help you, you know, transfer that down the road and continuously build on, uh, on your portfolio. Yeah, I really appreciate that thorough breakdown. And I'll give our listeners a chance to adjust their speed back to one time speed from half time mm-hmm. speed because that was pretty dense there. But really appreciate it, guys. Uh, so I know just because of your YouTube sponsorship and stuff and focusing on social media, you know, a lot of my audience, a lot of the listeners are naturally, and a lot of your customers naturally, as a byproduct of that are focused on financial independence through real estate investing. Do you guys mind just maybe breaking down some of the challenges or maybe a typical avatar of someone that maybe reaches out to you or what a lot of the people you work with are trying to accomplish? Because I imagine you see a a handful of avatars and then they're often repeated. We do. We do. Yeah. So our our main, it's it's funny you ask this because we actually sat down about, I want to say eight to 12 months ago. And we said, who is our target client and how do we go about helping those people? So our, our target is somebody who has a property who either can't qualify with the bank to get another property or the bank has said, you know, we're just, we're not willing to extend you enough credit to be able to do that. So we are solutions based brokers. So 
at the end of the day, when the bank says no, we're trying to find the alternative solutions to say yes. So number one would be just a client who has and has income, has a job, has a house, wants to scale and wants to get into another property or or has multiple properties, say two or three properties where the bank says, you know, I'm giving you enough credit. We can't actually extend you anymore based off of your certain ratios. You know, you're going to have to find an alternative. And we've actually heard of banks just saying, nope, not possible. You can't buy any more properties. And we have clients like, is this true? And it's not true. So, you know, our main client is somebody who has the tools and has the drive and wants to move forward, just doesn't know how to. And that's uh, the people that we want to help. Yeah, I think, and to break that down even further, there's the people who are getting turned away from, you know, the big five banks, like Josh said, because of your your debt servicing and, you know, you can just no longer personally debt service either your first property, you know, maybe you're just not quite making enough income to get it done on the A side, or, you know, you've just tapped out on your property limit on the A side. Um, and in those situations, you know, we're able to leverage our B lenders. The B lenders have extended debt ratios, so you can carry more debt on the application. They're much more aggressive using their rental addbacks or offsetting. So, you know, we can use that rental income on a property to offset all of their monthly liabilities and, and reduce their qualifying liabilities. So for those for those clients who are, it's more of an income to debt ratio problem and, and your debt ratio problem, B lenders are great a great solution for that. For those uh, borrowers who come to us and are having a, a property limit, you know, where they're tapped out at three or four properties with the big five banks, we have lenders on the B side who are able to work up to, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, and even 10 properties in some circumstances. So again, you know, the B lenders are, are great for those clients who are just looking to increase their portfolio size outside of the A lenders. And, and credit unions are really good for that as well too, where like I said, they can start to leverage the portfolio based off of a debt servicing and not necessarily personal debt servicing. So those are options as well. And then I think the other type of client who comes to us is probably someone who just, you know, doesn't really have any down payment. They're looking for other people's money. So, you know, some sort of investor-based loan to cover the down payment, vendor takebacks to cover the down payment. Cross-collateral. Yeah, cross-collateralization, utilizing other properties, getting that loan to value to 100%. I say at least four times a week, we have someone reach out asking if they can do 100% loan to value. And <laughs> for the record, it is doable, but you know, it's, it's a bit of like a help us help you. If you come to us and you have nothing to offer, we, we can't get you 100% loan of value, right? We need to be able to leverage something to get 100% loan of value, whether that's a prom note, a vendor take back, a portfolio with collateral, you know, your mom has a house, like something that we can leverage to be able to get it done. And if you don't have anything, you know, there's just, we can't, we can't materialize equity or, or something out of thin air to kind of help get them into that project. So for sure, we need something. Yeah. There's always got to be like, if you're going to doing second positions or something like that, it's got to be secured against something. I think a lot of people are kind of just looking for uh I mean, they're looking for a silver bullet more often than not. I mean, at the end of the day, there needs to be, there needs to be, you need to either have a good deal or the right people or, or yeah, a portfolio or something you can leverage things against. You can't just, oftentimes you can't just materialize things out of thin air, right? <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> it's, it's, All right. So yeah, I was going to say, we talk about it a lot. So it's, we just want to let people know that, you know, it is doable, but you do need something to help support that you know, the ability for a lender to go hundred you know, percent loan to value. There is a lot of risk involved. So you need something to help offset 
and and securitize the risk. I mean, you are getting a house with no money down, so it's you know it's not as simple as just finding a really good deal. You, you do need something else. To help us to help you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so we're gonna jump into the fire four. It's the same four questions we ask every guest, and the first question I guess you guys can answer individually or together if you'd like. But it's what are you grateful for? It's a really good question. I am grateful for my business partners. Uh, without the guidance. Uh. Stu- yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, there's actually three of us who own this company. So my uncle brought me into this and Aaron into this uh, industry. Uh, Scott has about 17 years experience doing this. So you know, Scott is one of the people who kind of taught me financial independence and how you know you could exit that rat race and how there are options available if you just look past the programming that that society has taught you. So Grateful for Scott, who you know, who guides us. Grateful for Aaron, obviously, for you know, working with uh, working with me on days that probably shouldn't want to work with me. And uh, sounds like sounds like your uncle was the rich dad. In yeah, this he scenario. was one hundred percent. Yeah, he he switched the paradigm for me. I never met anybody who uh, you know who really kind of escaped that rat race and had financial independence. And then I, I obviously you know, I, I learned after university that that's. Uh, where he was kind of driving his business. And I thought, wow, that's insane. And obviously the jump is never easy, but, you know, grateful for my business partners for sure. I think the next few years are going to be pretty insane. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, there's a whole list of things you, you can say you're grateful for, you know, obviously the business partners, they help keep the business, you know, the motivation pushing you through and, you know, Scott's obviously taught us a lot. I mean, our industry partners too, I'm, I'm grateful for, um, you know, a lot of the learning and progress that we did was having our BDMs and other underwriters take the time to, you know, explain unique products and go over it with us. And, you know, there's a lot of deals that we send in that we probably have no right sending in, but, you know, it's pushing, pushing the envelope 1% further every day until lenders slowly get comfortable. And, you know, there's a lot of lenders who per- could have easily just stopped accepting our deals that we they push in because some of them are pretty creative and unique and you know don't fit their regime, but they put up with it and and you know it's 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 a lot of just asking questions and and growth and we talked about this on another podcast as well too where it was just how we got started and it it wasn't so much reading books it was just asking questions and and pushing the envelope that way with our partners and and learning from their feedback. You know, we're grateful for the investors. You know, if no one watched our content, we wouldn't be here. So, you know, having, you know, having the audience that we do and, and how great the audience is. And, and, you know, we have a lot of conversations with a lot of our investors and it's, they're not all business conversations. A lot of them are just, you know, chatting. You know, I, I talked to an investor yesterday for, for two hours about nothing. It was just a little bit about his life story, you know, how he started, what he's done, what he wants to do. And, and, and that was it. You know, there was no deal involved. He didn't have a deal. It was just talking. And those things turn into, you know, friendships. Poten- yeah, friendships, a potential business referral down, down the road, a potential deal. And it, it, it's not always about an immediate deal. So I'm um, pretty much you know, grateful for everyone that's been in a part of our growth. Because it hasn't just been us, you know, being able to, you know, take advantage of Matt's audience and Matt 
putting up with our yeah. videos and, and consistently working with us and obviously our media team. Our media team. Yeah, done a lot of <laughs> thank you. A lot of our back end stuff. So. And of course you guys would like to thank the Academy as well. Yes, of course. the Academy. Yeah, for <laughs> my mom. <laughs> <laughs> awesome guys. Well, I love it and definitely love the mindset of just being abundant and grateful. Uh, question two of the fire four is a guilty pleasure. So what's something that you can't live without? Oh man. I like nice cars. <laughs> like it's definitely it's gonna be a guilty pleasure for the rest of my life. Vehicles, one hundred percent. Guilty pleasures. Oh, I don't know. That's a really good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <sighs> I have so many guilty pleasures. Like I love to overeat food. Like I love food. So I mean, that's actually a, was the most common answer we get. <laughs> like I just I have endless hunger sometimes. So sometimes. <laughs> you know, just being, being able to in, indulge myself on occasion. Um, I'm a big fan of, you know, I'm a big fan of, of wine and, and some scotches. So that's, it, you know, it's, I like to have a drink every now and then. Um, I that's guess. definitely you to a tea. Food, yeah. Food and wine. Yeah. Food and wine. <laughs> awesome. All right. So third question is, is there a frugality tip or a life hack that you guys would like to share with the listeners? Not everyone's necessarily about being frugal, but just, I suppose, intentional with your money and yeah, making sure that, uh, you know, you're, yeah, that you're putting it towards things that are, you know, making you happier. Yeah. Buy, buy assets. Like you don't, you don't need that, that, that Gucci purse or like, you know, those, those thousand dollar pair of shoes right now. Like we're young. Like if anything, if anything I could, I could tell you is compound interest is a real thing. And if you set yourself up early in life and you put the investments in that you need to put in now, your older self will thank you. So just if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously already do that, but buy assets, don't buy liabilities. And, but obviously enjoy life, but set yourself up. I agree. I mean, I, I look back at how much money I wasted from 18 you know, I'll say 19 because you can't drink at 18, but, you know, from 19 to uh, 25, 26, you know, just just spending university after high school, you know, spend a lot of time just partying and how much money you really waste. You know, I mean, the memories are great, but, you know, do you need to drink, you know, three, four times a, a week for some of those people who are out there partying all the time, you know? You, you take a night or two off and, you know, 200, 300 bucks a week, you can save, you put that into a stock or investment or put that away for a saving on a house, you know, that, that gets you into something and it's, you don't have to remove all avenues of, of fun from your life, but, you know, moderation is, is a real thing. And, and, you know, those memories only last for so long and those times only last for so long. But if you start to put your money away and you invest it, you know, that, that goes a long way and, and house hacking, man. I mean, like living together with like what Josh and, and having to be able to split the rent, you know, that's an additional amount of money that you can put towards something else, you know, whether it's an investment or whether that goes towards your groceries and the money that you were going to put towards, you know, it, it, it does save you money. And if you put yourself in someone's presence every day that, you know, pushes you and, and, able to grow and, you know, talk about new ideas, you know, who knows what that's really going to lead to, right? If, you know, would Josh and I be here if we weren't, you know, living together, it's, you know, that's to be determined and we'll never really know, but probably not, you know, it, it's, they're quite a bit, there could have been quite a different outcome for this if, if we had, you know, been friends, but just not living together for the amount of time that we did and, and had the amount of time to bounce ideas off and, and, 
be able to grow this into what it is. So, you know, I, I don't, I think people should not be afraid of, of, you know, living with someone at an age where, you know, Hey, you should stop living with your friend. Well, you know, says who, like, and, and for what reason, right? Take advantage of that and, and split the rent and, and put yourself in a position with someone every day that helps you grow and, and, you know, bouncing ideas off and, and creating stuff together. A hundred percent agree. And last question, the fire four. So for this question, a little bit of context, guys, think of your life as a movie. So if you were the main character in your own movie, what would the hero of your own movie do right now in your life? What would the hero do? So like, you know, think of it as like, what would Jocko or Grant Cardone like kind of yell at you to do right now? Like, you know, you should be doing it, but you're not doing it. Or if you were watching the movie, you'd be yelling for the character to do it. Stop being a little bitch. Work is work. And, and, you know, 16 hour days are 16 hour days, man. You know, you know, you don't see anybody who's super successful, who's ever made anything worth anything. Let's say they didn't put a hundred hour work weeks in. So, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be tough. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Stop. uh, You know, don't feel sorry for yourself. At the end of the day, you built what you built and compound it and keep going. You uh, there's no there's no pride in slowing down. So just keep doing it, man. Just keep pushing. That's a tough question. It's supposed to be. (laughs) I like this one. This one. This one's a thinker. I'm trying to think of like something in my life that I I really wanted to change, and I needed someone to be like, yo, you need. It's even like right now, right? Like, what is it something that you're like, this is something I know I should be doing. And, you know, if I was watching a movie right now, I'd be like, okay, man, you got to go do that. I would say getting up a little bit earlier, just having a better morning routine. You know, now that the gyms are back open, you know, get up, get to the gym at six, get that out of the way, you know, get back home, you get time to make some breakfast, you get to sit down, you get to plan your day out a little bit better than kind of just rolling out of bed, walking downstairs, and then just sitting in front of your computer, you know, that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't uh, set you up for the day, doesn't give you time to plan it out. And then, you know, later on in your day, you got to try to, oh, what time am I going to go to the gym? I got stuff to do. It gets a little more complicated. And then you just get frustrated because you don't end up going and then, you know, you feel like crap and it's just a, a cycle that repeats itself. So I'd say for me, you know, you said Jocko. So, I mean, I know Jocko takes a picture of his watch every morning and he's up at a a superhuman hour. So, you know, I'd I'd love to be up at superhuman hours, getting to the gym, getting that part of my day, day done and, uh, and being able to have a a better morning routine. I've always been active. So getting back in the gym has been a stop feeling like a bag of milk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those COVID pounds are real thing guys. Yeah. The morning routine is tough. I think a lot of people with COVID are starting to realize they get a taste of financial independence because they have more time than they ever thought they had. And they start to realize that there's a lot of self-accountability that they didn't necessarily have when they had the day job or, or, uh, or the business, um, the business was holding you accountable or the, or the boss was, but now, now it's your turn. So the morning routine is a great place to start with that. So thank you guys so much for being on the show. Before we wrap up, we always like to get our guests to ask the audience a question. So do you guys have a question you wanted to ask the audience? What do we want to ask the audience? I would say, you know, what, what are some of the struggles and challenges that you guys have faced during COVID and how have you accomplished them? Like, you know, we've obviously, I, I personally seen some, some things that I've had to accomplish and work very hard to be able to pass during COVID and everybody's struggle right now is, is something different. So 
what have you accomplished over the last 12 months? And you know, what are some positives that you've taken out of this whole entire situation? The whole world is focused right now on the negative impacts, but I've seen a lot of growth in a lot of different places from a lot of people. So, you know, what, what kind of positive have you taken out of this and you know, how have you set yourself up to move away from, from COVID and, and push yourself to a better situation when it's all said and done? Yeah, I think, question I would ask, and maybe it's a little bit more of like a rhetorical question, but like, you know, why haven't you taken that leap into something? You know, like what, like what is really holding you back? Now, there's lots of people that I've talked to that want to quit their job, but you know, you say why, and they go, I just can't right now. And it's like, well, what do you mean you like, why can't you like what, like kind of what's holding you back from doing that? Cause I mean, I, like I was in a similar situation when I first started mortgages and I was trying to do it part-time with another job and it just, like, I couldn't do it. And it just got to the point where one day I just went in and told my boss I was done. And he's like, when? I said, tomorrow. <laughs> and then I quit. And then that was, you know, that was pretty scary. But uh, what's holding back? Yeah. Like, you know what, like what, what is holding back? And cause I mean, like there's jobs out there. You, you can get a job and you know, if, it, if it's just the income, you know, that, that, that's, you, you can easily go out there and, and apply for another job. So, I mean, like what, what is really holding you back from taking that next leap? And you know, why, why haven't you done it? Mm-hmm. Awesome, guys. Well, really appreciate it. If people want to follow along with you on your journey on social media, can they? And where can they? Of course. Can do. Yeah, guys, we have a few different social media accounts that we have. Check out our Instagram account, Finlay Team. Check out our YouTube. You know, we do drop videos every single week on Matt's channel on Friday. We drop our own videos throughout the week. And then we also have a live stream on Sundays. And we also have Facebook as well. But you know, we there's a handful of different ways you can get in touch with us or watch some of our content. You know, the majority of our quality content is on Matt's channel every Friday. So pop by there and take a little gander. Awesome. Thank you guys for being on the show. Really appreciate all the, all the helpful info. Appreciate yeah, thanks guys. for having us guys. I really love catching up with Josh and Aaron to see the, just the ambition in these two young real estate investors, as well as uh, business owners is just really inspiring for me. It's a huge lesson or example again of you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with and i can see how they're both leveling each other up you know by living together by working together and by being friends together i think it's a really cool work-life blend that they've created for themselves and i really like one of the things we're trying to do here is actually get into people's backstories a little more than you might see on some of their other content so it was really cool to kind of see you know how the two of them interact and what their life situation is like and their backstory so you know as we have future guests on you know bear in mind we're going to be diving into their stories so if there's people you want to learn more about these episodes hopefully we'll uh, we'll, we'll scratch that itch for you And while you're waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community and make sure you're following us on Instagram at On Fire Podcast. And make sure to tune in to the next On Fire Podcast to meet more people, hear their stories and learn from their mistakes. And know what'd be awesome? A five-star rating and written review. I don't even care what you say. I don't care what platform it's on. All that matters is that you give us that five-star rating and a written review. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen signing off. And until next episode, remember, being normal, buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Harry Golden said. The only thing that overcomes hard luck is hard work.